Thanks for joining us on the Father's House Podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. Hey, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Man, didn't Pastor Tim do an amazing job last week? Whoa, I really enjoyed that. Thank you for your prayers. We were in Phoenix last week. I taught Saturday night, three Sunday morning services, and had still had a lot in the tank left to go. So uh, it was a great time to be with Pastor Kevin and Melise. Uh. <laughs> Father, we thank you today for your love to us. Man, just your, your presence is so real today. We thank you for those that are in the house and those that are watching on the online church. And God, we just uh, submit ourselves to you as we look into this John, uh, Mark chapter 14 today and ask you, Lord, to speak to us. And Holy Spirit, I'm leaning on you today for your anointing because without you, I can't do anything. But with you, we can do exactly what we need to do today in the name of Jesus. Hey, let me show you a picture, ask you if you know this guy. Have you seen him? Do you know of him? Anybody know him? His name is Michael Lotito of Grenoble, France. Of course, he's dead now. He died of natural death. Uh, but do you know what he's remembered for? He's in the Guinness World Records that during his lifetime, listen to this, he has eaten 18 bicycles, 15 supermarket buggies, seven TV sets, and a low-calorie Cessna light aircraft that you see in the background. He was able to grind them up and eat them. And he's in the Guinness Book of Records. Wow. That's, that's his fame. Can you imagine on the day of judgment, and God says in that deep baritone voice, and what are you remembered for? I ate a Cessna plane in my lifetime. That's what I'm remembered for. Wow. That's his legacy. That's how he's remembered. But what will you be remembered for? What will your family remember you for? What will your friends remember you for? But greater than all of that, let me ask you this question. What will Jesus remember you for. So today we're going to look at a story of a woman that in Jesus's opinion led a life that to be remembered that we should model after her. Not according to CNN or Time magazine, but Jesus says, if you want to live a life worth remembering, how many of you would like to live a life worth remembering? Would you raise your hand? Those of you online, would you give me a hand up, a thumbs up, whatever, that you'd like to live a life that somebody would remember well, not just say, well, I'm glad he finally died. I'm glad he got out of my life. But that somebody would remember that you did something good for them and for the world. So look at this, uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. While he, Jesus, was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. 
Let me remind you how they ate at that time. Sometimes we see the picture of the Last Supper. We see them all lined up in a supper. That's not how they ate. They didn't eat at a table like that. They would have eaten at a table that was about two foot tall. It would have been a round table at this particular time in, in the house. And they would have been reclining on some pillows or one arm, and their legs would have been extended out. The men would have been around the table, and the women would have been there to serve. Uh, so in the way, Jesus is there with the others in the home of Simon the leper. And a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. It was imported from India, and it was very expensive. She broke the jar, poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a what kind of thing? Would you underline that? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you. You can help them anytime you want but you will not always have me. She did what she could. Would you underline that? She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, look at this. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow. Jesus says, to live a life worth remembering, we need to live a life that impresses Jesus. Is your life impressing Jesus? The thing that impressed Jesus was her worship. John chapter 4, verse 23. Scripture said, but the hour is coming, and now is when what? What kind of worshipers? Say it again. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is what? Seeking such to worship him. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus says here, if you want to live a life worth remembering, then you need to pour your life out in extravagant worship to me. And then he says, the Father is seeking for worshipers, true worshipers. So I look at that and I think, hmm, right? If they're true worshipers, how many of you have already deduced that? Then there must be what? False worshipers. Notice that the Father is seeking worshipers. He's not seeking the best communicators. He's not searching for the most charismatic leaders. He's not searching for the best and the richest, the one that has the most Instagram followers. But instead, the Father this morning is searching for worshipers. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, yeah, that's good for the worship team, and that's good for some of the other people that are very demonstrative in their worship. But I'm really not a worshiper. Oh, yes, you are. We're all worshipers. You see, we just don't understand the definition of worshiping. We think worship is singing. Oh, worship is so much more than that. Watch this. This quote here is great. Worshiping is simply showing what we want. 
what we value. Say it with me. Worshiping is simply showing what we value. Showing what is worth something to us. That's worship. For example, those of you that go to a sporting event and you love your Ohio team, right, Michael? I mean, even post with the hat, the shirt, and everything else. And when Tiffany comes on, you guys liking one another. People have no, no doubt that they love Ohio. Iowa State. The lower part. So when you have a team that you love, what do you do? You celebrate. You worship. You show value to that team. I've seen some of you go to a concert. And in church, you stand like this. But I've seen you in a concert. I've seen you with that band. I've seen some of the posts that you have. I've seen you sing. I've seen you move. I've seen you shout and raise your hands. Why? Because you value or you worship in that concert. Think about what happened today. We came into this service, and about the first 20, 25 minutes, we spent in worshiping in song the presence of God. How many of you during that time experienced the presence of God in some way? Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? You experienced it. What were you doing? You were celebrating. You were literally worshiping. You were pouring out your love onto him. Worshiping him for what he's done, for who he is. Or do you just show up a little late and you watch the team sing as you stand. How long has it been since you poured out your love on the Lord? Or have you become so used to, we come to church, it starts at this time, we'll have a countdown, we'll have a warm-up song, the team will come on, and it'll blare loud, and we'll get ready, we'll get through the 20 minutes or 25 minutes, and they'll do some announcements, and then the guy will get up, and he'll yell a little bit, and he'll talk, and, and we'll pray a little bit, and he will leave out of here, and the whole time you're thinking, where are we going to lunch? What are we going to have today? I wonder how crowded it'll be on Easter. I wonder, we get so used to coming to church and going through the motions that we can literally come and leave and never pour out extravagant love on the one who died for our sins. It's just a, this is just a wake-up call this morning, an alarm for going off. Worship is born in our hearts. Look at this. Worship is born in our hearts, not on our lips. People say, well, I can't sing, or I don't know the song. No, it has nothing to do with what's on your lips. It has to do with what's in your heart. It's a lifestyle, not only a segment of church service. It isn't just singing loud. It's what? Say it with me. Living loud for our great God. This week we have leading up to Easter. 
It's the Super Bowl for churches. More people are ready to come on Easter service than any other time. How loud can you live this week using those invite cards and inviting people to come and to know the Jesus that you love so much? I love Max Lucado's definition of worship. He said, worship is a thank you that refuses to be silent. Worship is a voluntary act of gratitude offered by the saved to the Savior, by the healed to the healer, and by the delivered to the deliverer. Well, if you think that's a great, great worship definition, would you give the Lord a hand clap? Amen. So I want to look at this passage today, not just for you, I want to look at this passage for me today and to remind myself of a life worth remembering, Amen. of what it's like. And so here Jesus gives us the secret of a life worth remembering. First of all, number one, do what you can do. Do what you can do. You, you know the, the initials SDWSC? SDWSC? Just simply, she did what she could. Say that with me. She did what she could. She put into her hands what she felt like she couldn't speak with her lips. Her action is a lesson for us. By her life that she lived, of what she did for Jesus, it was a lesson for us. God doesn't require you to do what you can't do. He doesn't require you to do what you're not capable of doing. God won't ask any of us to do anything that we don't have the ability to do. Here's what I know today. Some of you in this room and some of you watching online, you don't know what all God has put in you because you've never really surrendered your life to him. You've gone to church, you've gone through the motions, but you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus and say to him, you drive, you drive. I'm tired of driving my life. You, die. you have no idea what he's put in you that he'd like to bring out of you. Mark doesn't give, her, give us her name. You say, well, yeah, but John gives a name. No, look in Mark's passage because Mark says, here's what's important. Her, her name is not important. Her status is not important. But the thing that Mark is saying, what she did and what she had with what she had is the important thing. Because he doesn't want you to leave today saying, well, I'm no like that uh, lady, whoever you want to call her. John does say that it's Mary. So yeah, I could never be like her. No, he's still going to say, look, she was a no-name person. She gave the Lord what she had in her possession. And she gave him everything that she had. Someone said, I'm only a man, but I am a man. You can say a woman, okay. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do, I'm available to do. And would you read that with me? Those of you that are ladies say woman or lady. And those of you that are man say man. It seems like there's only two categories in life, okay? God is never confused by gender. Say it with me. I'm only a man, but I am a man. I can't do everything, 
but I can do something. And what I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do, I'm available to do. So first thing, she did what she could. Everywhere in the scripture, God only asks people to do what they can do. He says, bring to me what's in your hand. Bring to me what's in your hand. The second secret I see here is make sure that you offer your best. Make sure you offer your best. She did what she could by giving her best. She brings an alabaster uh, container. It's a beautiful container, and it was sealed. It took a year's wages. That, that perfume that she had was imported from India, and it was worth a year's wages. So just calculate what your year's wages would be. Have you ever come to the place that you'd be willing to pour that all upon Jesus? No, most of us would like to take the top off and just give him a little bit of the Chanel or the Brute or the Old Spice. I dated myself there, right? She brought this alabaster bottle that didn't have a screw-off lid. It was only going to be used one time, maybe at her wedding, or maybe it was for her burial because they used them for both times. But she remembered Jesus and what he's done for her and her family, evidently. And she brings that, and she breaks it, and she worships Jesus with that. I can, I, I, I can see them in the room. You see, nard was a fragrance that everybody knew. Wow. Yeah, you, I mean, you just didn't put nard on to go to the gym. I mean, it was a special occasion. I can just see someone, whew, that's pure nard. I mean, that's, that's expensive stuff. You have to go to the other end of the Millennial Mall to buy that. You don't get it on the Macy's end. You get it on the end where they still require you to wear a mask and walk in three at a time. You, you get in, into that area. It, it's that. Wow. I've heard that, but I, I've never really smelt something like that before. I've heard that. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love for people to say when they see your worship? Wow. You see... When you worship in the way that she did, even those that were disgruntled and all of that, the atmosphere was changed because of what she did. I'm telling you, when you pour out extravagant worship the Lord, the atmosphere changes. Whatever else she, you may say about her, her gift didn't seem extravagant to her. She wasn't saying, Jesus I'm bringing this to you, and like it's, you know, it's really expensive, so I hope you understand it. I hope you get it. No, she was just going to pour it all, and she poured it on his head, and it began to run down, and it, and it just perfumed the whole room. Romans 12 and 1 says, so I beg you, brothers and sisters, because of the great mercy God has shown us, offer your lives as a what? Living sacrifice to him. That, an offering that is only for God and pleasing to him. Consider what he has done. It's only right that you should worship him in this way. That means everything you do with your life is worship. 
So are you giving it the best? Are you giving him the best? Remember, we're not doing it unto man, but we're doing it unto God. So we're offering the very best that we have. It cost her. Listen, if your worship doesn't cost you anything, you haven't really given anything. In fact, I'd like to say it like this. If your worship doesn't cost you everything, you haven't given him anything. It's not, it's not in little segments. It's extravagant worship. Extravagant worship. Number three, don't worry about what others think. Number one, do what you can do. She did what she could do. Number two, offer your best. Don't worry about what others think. She did what she could in the face of criticism. The Greek here indicates, it's kind of interesting, the Greek indicates here that they snorted, not just Judas, but the other disciples. They snorted like angry horses. Well, how, how, how could she do that? How could she, how could she take that year's wages of that expensive nard and pour it on Jesus' head? Well, I just, you know, and you know, it had to be Judas at that time. Say, well, that, that could have been given to the poor. No, what's he thinking? That could have been put in my purse, and I could have had a little bit of that on my own. Criticism usually tells us more about the critic than the person being criticized. They said it's wasteful extravagance. Just like a lot of people told you, you go to that church? Well, they do that like hands raised, don't they? And then maybe dance every once in a while. And they're like, they're, they're loud, right? Sometimes, and they're, and they're very emotional. You don't have to do that. You can just stand and be quiet. Make sure the volume is at like negative 2.0 so that we fall asleep. You know, the church in America is getting older. So help us please that the church here in Leesburg, the Father's house, doesn't get older. The reason some of you are here is that you left churches that were just white head and bald heads and you came here because you like to see people that are younger than you. So I'm encouraging you to start inviting young people to the church, all right? I mean, I look around and there's a lot of us gray-haired people here. Use your invite cards to invite somebody that's younger, all right, and bring some life. Extravagant worship. It costs me something. I hear people say, you know, when I first started coming to your church, I'd watch people just raise their hands, and, and I just, I'd, I'd think, of, boy, I, I'd like to do that, but just everything in me, I just... I just couldn't, couldn't get my hands up. And, you know, as I kept hanging around, finally one day I found that my hand went up like that. Whoo, got my hand up like that, man. I just felt like, and that was, do what you can do. See, maybe you've not come to the place that you're just in total abandon like some others that are here, like, you know, to get that hand up. You know what's going to happen? And that other hand's going to go up. You know what you're going to say? Boy, that's just, that's just here at this level. I'm going all in. I'm going all in today. I'm going all in. And you know, I may not even know the words, but I can shout hallelujah. I can sing watermelon, watermelon, watermelon really loud or praise the Lord. I, I, can, I can look like I'm alive. And they said, and it should have just said, it's extravagant worship. They said, no, it's wasteful. You don't have to do that. Listen, whenever anyone 
becomes extravagant in their worship, the devil will stir up trouble. The devil hates extravagant worship. You know why? He was the worship leader in heaven. He had sounds coming out of him everywhere. He wanted to be worshiped. And when we stand on a Sunday or Monday or whatever it is, and we pour out extravagant worship on Jesus, the devil gets mad. He doesn't like it. But I say to hell with the devil in Jesus' name. Let's worship God with extravagant worship. Extravagant worship. Jesus said, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing. You got to see this in the Greek. It's the word kalos. It means beautiful, good. Look at that. Morally right. It conveys a sense of beauty that gives goodness and an artistic glow beyond its instrumental value. Such as works of fine art are often considered wasteful by some, while others see the beauty. Have you been to an art museum? You look at some of those things that just really look weird. And I think, the guy was on drugs. But somebody's standing beside me that understands and appreciates art and the fineness, all the art words I could use, but I don't know to use those art words. And they start telling me what they see there. And what the contrasts mean. And all of a sudden, the worth of that painting takes on a new value to me because I couldn't see it through the eyes that I needed to see. The disciples have said, it's a wasteful thing what they're doing. Jesus said, no. You're looking at it wrong. She's done the most beautiful thing that could ever be done. And wherever this gospel is preached for the rest of this world, people will remember what she did. Amen. And just a few, won't remember her name, but they'll remember what she did. How often do we feel motivated to do something in a response to the Holy Spirit, but then common sense or busyness kicks in? And we lose that. She changed the atmosphere. And they enjoyed it. Wow. You may come in on a Sunday morning or through the week with your life. You can literally change the atmosphere in your home. You can change the atmosphere in here that we don't just stand and look at the words, but we worship with those words. We change the atmosphere. You've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. We're right in the middle and we feel like that maybe there's just a, it just seems like there's a conflict in the air. Those of you that are really in tune with the Holy Spirit will understand what I'm saying. You feel a conflict. You feel a struggle. Then all of a sudden, with the extravagant worship that's going on, it's like all of a sudden the door opens and that cold, dark, gloomy fog leaves and all of a sudden it changes the atmosphere. Changes the atmosphere. And that's what happens. So listen, people are going to criticize, so give them something to talk about. All right? Number four, we have to learn to seize the moment. 
She did what she could at the right time. Jesus said, she poured perfume on my body beforehand for my burial. Evidently. See, this wasn't a spontaneous act. She didn't say, oh, wow, I, what, what, what can I do? Oh, I'll, 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 go, I'll go get that expensive jar of perfume. No. It was a response to who Jesus was. And it was planned. And she came with that. I, I believe... Here Jesus has been telling the disciples, I'm on my way. I mean, you know what's going to happen next. He's going to be betrayed. He's going uh, to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be put in the tomb. He's told them that over and over and over. But has any of them prepared his body for burial? But the Holy Spirit looks and he finds a no-name woman and he begins motivating in her heart. You need to take that expensive nard perfume that you have imported from India. And you need to anoint Jesus for his burial. You see, and it was like she could have said, well, maybe I'll do it next week. If she had waited till next week, it would have been too late. You see, we keep waiting for the next time. You're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And you think, well, maybe next week. Maybe on Easter. But have you read the obituary column lately? Have you read that it's not just old people that go, it's young people? No one is assured of any time other than we have right now. Something in her heart said, now is the time. You got to do it now. You got to do it now. And so she breaks it open and she pours it over Jesus' head. And Jesus says, she has anointed my body for burial. So for the next 48 hours, I believe that fragrance stayed with Jesus. I believe when he was going into the city on Palm Sunday that we celebrate so often, he saw all the palm branches, he saw all of that, but he smelt. My body has been anointed for burial. They want to set me up in a king, as a king, but for this reason I came. They tie him up and they beat him. But yet every once in a while, he catches the fragrance of that nard. I've been anointed for this. I've been anointed for this. They take him to the cross. They hang him on the cross for your sins and my sins. He smells the anointing, the perfume. I'm anointed for burial. This is why I came. I can do it. What if? What if she had missed her time? What if common sense had kicked in? And she would have said, women aren't allowed in there when the men are around the table. That's not kosher. But the Holy Spirit is moving on her. No, 
we move beyond what is customary and we go to extravagant worship. And when you're able to do that, no matter where the gospel is taught in whatever language it's taught, what you did in just a few seconds will be remembered, will be remembered, and will be remembered, and the Holy Spirit will challenge all of us to do that. She did what she did out of brokenness. Out of brokenness. You see, when you, when you look at this story, we're reminded of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. This is an earthen vessel, right? But God has put a treasure in there. And that treasure is only good. What he's put in there is only good when we are broken and poured out. But you see, it had to be broken. You had to give it all or you couldn't give nothing. We don't like to be broken, do we? We like to carry our alabaster box around and say, oh man, look, look, look how good I am. Look how victorious I am. Man, I, I pray and God answers my prayer. I ask God to give me money, God gives me money. So we just love to strut around in that. But you see, the strutting around is, what not, is not what broken people are looking for. Broken people are looking for people that have had their dreams broken, their families broken, their lives broken, and what's in them is poured out. You see, I don't know what's in you until I see that you're broken. See, you can pretend with a pretend face and all of your posts that everything is great, but it's when you've been broken. It's when you've been broken and people know what you've been through. And yet, instead of being angry or resentful, that people say, I've never, I've never, I've never smelt a fragrance like comes out of them, out of this brokenness, out of this pain, out of this sickness. God doesn't bring that upon us, but he allows those things so that he can break open what's on the inside of us to come out. How long has it been since you were broken before God? How long has it been since you had passionate worship? That you're crying out in gratitude and love and worship unto the Lord? Or have we become so rote in our prayers that we can pray our prayers and we never feel any emotion of love and gratitude and thanksgiving? When is the last time that your children saw you worshiping the Lord? When is the last time in your family prayer time that you just interrupted it all and that just it began to flow out of you of how much that you love Jesus and how much that he's done for you and how, how much you care for him? See, she anointed him. She didn't come to his hand to get something from him. She anointed his head and another gospel says she anointed his feet not asking for anything I just want to pour out extravagant worship upon you some of you today don't know what's in you because you've never allowed it to be broken up and surrendered to God here's what I'd like to ask you do you know him is he really first in your life? 
Have you surrendered your heart to him? For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Miss the mark. There's no way that I can get to God in my own strength. My sin separates me from God. That's the bad news about my sin. But the good news about my sin is that God loved us so much that he didn't want to spend eternity without us. And he thought, what can I send? What's the best gift I can send? I'll send myself. I'll send my son. And on that night, she anointed him for his burial. For this reason I came. Remember the story of Jesus on the cross? When you read the gospel, it doesn't say that he dropped his head. But even in the last minutes, he lowered his head, still in control. And he said, it's finished. It's done. That's the good news. It was my sin that he carried and your sin. Sin has to be paid for. And Jesus says today, if you'll call upon me and surrender your life to me, I'll forgive you of your sins. And in that moment of faith, he'll set you free. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will take up residence in your life. Your desires will change. Your destiny will change. And he wants to do that today. Would you bow your head with me? If you're here today and or online and you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life and you know that you need him he wants you to experience the gift of his grace if that's you and you say you know what I know my sin is separating me from God today I want to ask Jesus to forgive me and I want to surrender my life and let him be my savior and my Lord Maybe years ago you made that decision, but you've grown cold. And you need to rededicate your life to him today. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you are and say, yeah, that's me, Terry. I'd like for you to include me in this prayer right now. Include me in this prayer today. I need to surrender. I need to re-surrender my life to Jesus. I need to surrender my life to him today. Those of you that are online. Just raise your hand right where you are and just post in there, I've decided and we're going to pray with you and for you today. Whatever would I pray this prayer with me today? Father, I need you. I've sinned and I'm asking you to save me. I believe you died on a cross to pay for my sins. I receive your grace today. I surrender my life Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I can be empowered to serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Church, would you just go nuts this morning and clap and thank God for people. Listen, I cut the message short today a little bit because I wanted us to sing a little bit more of that song that we sang earlier. I, I, please don't rush out unless you've got to go serve somewhere else. Please take time right now to worship with us 
in this, in this song. It's, a, it's just a couple of minutes, all right? But let this worship be the worship that you have that you want to give him today, extravagant worship. Would you stand with me and worship? Be sure to bring somebody with you next week, Easter Sunday. Let's worship. It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.